Hello, and welcome to The Queers Are Watching. I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And today we're going to do something a little different. Instead of talking about one thing that we've both watched, we're each going to tell the other person about something that they haven't seen. Yay! This was my idea, so don't crucify me, y'all. <laughs> I really hope it works out because I think it's kind of fun. Let's start by, before we jump in in depth, let's tell each other what we're talking about today. So okay. I will go ahead and tell you that I'm going to be talking about a limited series. Okay. Hulu original mm-hmm. called Dope Sick. Okay, I don't think I've heard of that. Okay. I kind of figured you hadn't seen it. I was hoping you hadn't seen it. So, okay. And then what are you going to tell me about? I'm going to tell you about the movie Nope by Jordan Peele. Oh. That's it has right. Gay in your it? character in there. Mm-hmm. <gasps> I'm surprised and didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> it's limited, but it is, I think, very good representation. So Okay. Okay. This one is also, like... There's a queer main character, but, like, that's not what the whole story's about. So it's going to be interesting to kind of, like, focus in on one particular storyline while also, like, making sure that the whole thing makes sense as a whole. So I'm really excited that you have to give, like, the um, the spiel that I usually do where you're <laughs> like, here are the facts about the movie and the, all the shit. You're probably going to ask me, like, questions about it and I'm going to be like, I don't know. I spent, like, an hour and a half <laughs> putting notes together and yet somehow I don't know very much I'm going to ask you so many questions. It's going to be like a quiz. Oh, great. Okay. Um, I guess. <laughs> you don't have to know the answers. You don't have to know the answers. I'll just make something up. No, I'm kidding. I won't. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I hope you're ready to be fucking sad because here we go. I am. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So like I said, I'm going to be talking about Dope Sick, which is a Hulu original eight episode limited drama series. And it follows the story of Oxycontin from 1995 to 2006, with a focus on how it impacted Appalachia, the DEA's failed attempts to stop the epidemic, and how the U.S. Attorney of West Virginia uh, tried to indict the top executives of Purdue Pharma, who manufactured and marketed the drug using unethical and deceptive practices. Wait, you said this is a docu-series? No, it's a drama series. Oh, but it's based okay. on true events. This is wild. This yeah. Is, okay. I'm on board. All right. So it's based on the nonfiction book, Dope Sick, Dealers, Doctors, and the Drug Company That Addicted America by Beth Macy. I have not read that. I don't read very often anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard that the book is really good. Um, and it's much more like, obviously, like that's a nonfiction book. Um, this is a fictionalized account of true events so very different yeah vibes. i don't really i don't really read nonfiction that much so yeah especially like this one like talk about a bummer like oh anyway <laughs> um <laughs> so on rotten tomatoes um it has an 89 percent critic score 92 percent audience score and on imdb it has an 8.6 so People like on it. IMDb. Mm-hmm. IMDb is so fucking critical. I swear to God, it's like the Reddit of movie criticism. I feel that it's 
critical of movies, but then for some reason with TV shows, I feel like the scores tend to be higher. I don't know if that's because like if someone's going to the effort of rating something on IMDb, like that's a TV show, maybe they that means they liked it. I don't know. Do they like round it off per episode or do you have to like vote for it on the actual TV show page? Because I know each episode gets a rating. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to. I, I knew you weren't going to know. I'm just kidding. Overall, it has an 8.6. I don't know about the individual episodes, but... Okay. Yeah. Um, it's also been nominated for a ton of awards, um, including a GLAAD Media Award for Outstanding Limited or Anthology Series. It did not win that one, but it was nominated. All bummer summer. <laughs> well, I kind of get why they wouldn't want it to win. I don't know. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, there's a queer character, but oh no there's a queer character (laughs) oh no okay got it but a lot of the awards that that it actually won were for like best actor for michael keaton because michael keaton is one of the stars of this michael keaton is a big name okay Yeah. yeah um and it was funny like when i started watching it i was like that guy looks super familiar and then i looked it up i was like oh holy shit that's michael keaton okay Okay. Is he looking kind of busted? Um, I wouldn't say busted. No. But oh, okay. Good maybe for him. Good for him. You might disagree. I don't know. But oh. <laughs> I don't it, have like what year did you say came out? This year? Uh, this year. Yeah, I think oh, okay. either this year or last year, but it came out recently. Yeah. Um, the other star that I want to mention because she plays the character that I will be talking about mostly today is Caitlin Dever, who is from Booksmart. Yes, I remember her. Yeah. Um, so she plays the queer character that I will be discussing today. She loves a queer character. Yep, she does. Um, I don't know I don't if that's her. I think she's queer in real life. I don't know. I actually didn't look into that, but... I don't Maybe so. she's just typecast? I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, this is based on a nonfiction book. But this is a fictionalized account. It's based on like an amalgamation of stories about real people. So could aspects of this be true? Yes. Is a whole story true? No. So um so Ryan Murphyized. <laughs> I I wouldn't use that term, but <laughs> Oh, that's too much. That's too far. <laughs> it's like I don't know. It like I it makes me feel more comfortable about being able to like criticize or discuss the narrative itself because it was crafted as a narrative. It wasn't like made to tell somebody's true story. So I feel like I can then be critical of it. Um okay. whereas if it's okay. if it's someone's true story, like yeah, you can talk about how the story is told, but you can't really like say why did they have that happen? Because it happened, but in this case it did not, so So I will tell you about the character that I will be talking about today. Her name is Betsy Malum, and she is in her early 20s, I believe, when we first see her. It's unclear. She's definitely not in high school, though. She's out of high school. Um, She lives in a very rural mining town in Virginia, and she works in the coal mines with her father, which is a really big deal. Um, because usually girls don't work in the coal mines and it's kind of like a big deal that she got her father to agree to let her do that. I was going to say, I've never heard of a woman working in a coal mine before. 
Yeah. So it was a really big deal. Um, there is actually another girl around her age that also works in the coal mines. We'll get to her in a minute. <laughs> I wish y'all could see my face when she said that. I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like Betsy's this person that clearly like she's very um, proud of the fact that she works in the mines. She it's very important to her that she's able to do this and show everyone like, hey, like my ancestors throughout time have worked in these mines and I want to be a part of that. And I shouldn't have to not be a part of it just because I'm a girl. So that's like very much where she's coming from. Um, seems like horrible work. So I don't know why she's like so hype about it, but I guess, you know, more power to her if that's what she wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's another girl that also works in the mines. Her name is Grace. And everyone knows that she's gay. Big gay Grace. I got it. <laughs> yeah. She's she's kind of butch. Um, she like hangs out with the boys and like makes vulgar jokes and stuff as gays do (laughs) (laughs) like even at one point towards the beginning i can't remember what exactly she said but she said something kind of like vulgar and betsy's dad who was there because they remember she works with her dad together he like said something about like don't use that language in front of my daughter or something oh god not his daughter hearing bad language Oh, no, this father is unhinged. He's a crazy Bible thumper. Like, we're going to have to get into that a little later. But so you see that scene and you're like, okay, okay. And like, Betsy doesn't like she kind of like smirks like she's like, oh, it's like a funny joke or whatever. So, (laughs) okay, so it's like a really big deal that her dad even let her go there. Oh, yeah. Huge deal. He's not he's not like super hype about it because she's like around all these men or whatever. And he's very much like the, like, I'll get a shotgun if, like, a boy comes around type of person. Like, that's just, you know, clearly who I he mean, is. That's, yeah, that's a common type there. Um, so later that evening, they're at the dinner table, Betsy and her parents. It's just the three of them. Um, and her dad makes, like, comments about Grace and how everyone knows that she's queer. And, like, he makes some comment of, like... Oh, that's the absolute worst thing that somebody could be. And just basically says a bunch of homophobic shit. And Betsy doesn't say anything. She's like, "Mm, okay. Like, she, you can tell she's, like, uncomfortable, but she doesn't say anything. We find out very soon that actually Betsy and Grace are already in a relationship. Oh, okay. It's like a reveal, the big like, reveal yeah they run into each other in a restroom um at like a bar and like start making out and you're like oh i see okay <laughs> like are they in like a relationship relationship or they just like casually make out with each other no they're in a relationship like they part of the scene is like you're kind of like wondering what's going on because they like act like they don't know each other but then it's like revealed to be like a little game that they're playing like it's a little mm-hmm. yeah okay. little roll we gotta keep it spicy yeah <laughs> So, I don't know. It was just, like, a little fun joke of, like, ooh, who's this? And then turns out they've been together already for a while. So, um, yeah, a little reveal for you. Um, you kind of find out that Grace doesn't really approve of Betsy working in the mines, which I think is funny. Um, okay. <laughs> basically, the reason that Grace disapproves of her working in the mines is more like, 
it's not that she doesn't think that she should be doing it because she's a woman or whatever because clearly grace works there too but it's more like betsy feels very like connected to the job whereas grace is like this is just something we're doing until we can get out of this town and move to somewhere that's queer friendly like that's grace's like motivation and this is keep in mind in the mid 90s too so it's like not not now not that it would be super friendly in Appalachia now for queer people in like a mining town but you know back in the 90s it was probably even worse so but she like loves being a miner Um, Betsy does yeah Grace is kind of like oh this is just like what we got to do to like make money or whatever okay one day in the mine there's an accident and they hear some rocks like falling and crumbling which is really scary this guy like pushes into betsy trying to move out of the way of the crumbling rocks and her back hits like a piece of machinery and she falls on the ground and she's screaming and it's horrible and it's like clearly a serious injury yikes okay yeah being the person that she is she does not go to a doctor She's like, this is my issue to deal with. Like, I'm fine. I can walk. Like, it's not a big deal. I'll just deal with the pain. Is that like something common in Appalachia? Like, that's an attitude there? Or just like her personality? Well, I'm sure it is an attitude there. But I think it's like that thing of like, she's a girl and it's been such a big deal for her to have to work, for her to be able to work in the mines. And she doesn't want to be perceived as weak and like have that be considered like oh like it's because she's a girl like she's too weak to handle an injury so she's very much like oh i have to like really tough it out so that i can keep my reputation as being like just as strong as the men got it okay yeah not great but i get it um so we see the back injury like that shows her like taking a shower and you can see like her horribly bruised back and you're just like jesus i wish she would see a doctor but she doesn't because she's betsy (laughs) And at this point, like, she goes over to Grace's. Grace lives in, like, a trailer. So, like, they can, like, freely, like, have sex and hang out there. Um, in the trailer? <laughs> yeah, in the trailer. Um, okay. No one's going to see them, apparently. Um, and Grace, like, basically says, I want to move to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, which is apparently, like, a queer. It's like their Palm Springs, kind of. Like, oh, okay. Little... I was like, that's real specific. <laughs> Yeah, it's like she she says something later in the series. I think she calls it Oz for country queers. So it's a little it's a little gay country town, apparently. And she's like, let's move there. That should be our goal. Alrighty. So she's like, we're going to save up enough money. And then I really hope we can move there together. And of course, Betsy pushes back and she's like, oh, but I want to work in the mines. That's what I want to do because that's what my ancestors have done, et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of is like a point of contention between the two of them um, because obviously Grace feels like, oh, like her wanting to work in the mines is clearly more important to her than being in a relationship with me. But Betsy says, if I were to come out, my father would never speak to me again. And I don't know that I'm willing to do that. And, of course, Grace takes that personally. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, one could argue that you shouldn't do that in a queer relationship. But, you know, that's a common hurdle for queer people to jump over. Yeah, for sure. Cut to 
Um, Betsy is sleeping at her house in her bed and she wakes up in horrible, horrible pain because she's just like left this injury and she's in such horrible pain that they actually call the town doctor, um, Dr. Phoenix, who is played by Michael Keaton. Uh, here he is. <laughs> yeah, here he is. Um, the man of the hour. And the hour is the middle of the night at Betsy's house. Um, <laughs> okay. So he does a little house visit, which is like very common in Appalachia. Um, you know, there's like a town doctor and as if it was, you know, the early 1900s or whatever, like if there's a problem, you can go ahead and give the town doctor a call and he'll just uh, jump in his automobile and drive down to your house. <laughs> Not his automobile. <laughs> Does he bring his little puzzle thing? Uh, no, I don't think he had like a little like old timey doctor bag. I think he was just Ow. regular. Um, he just showed up with nothing. He was like, I'll fix you. No, he had, he had, like, some stuff with him, but I don't think he had, like, one of those big black bags with him. Okay. Was, is he a real doctor? Or is he just, yes, like, he, someone they... Okay. No, he's a doctor. Yeah. Just checking. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's actually kind of funny. Like, he says, like, he grew up in what he considered to be a small town um, and ended up moving to this even smaller town to be with his wife, who has since passed. And so he, like, pokes fun at the fact that, like, compared to where he is now like his hometown is like the big city so <laughs> oh, okay i was wondering like because you said like he wasn't from there like i know that like one of the things about appalachia is like they don't trust people that aren't there from them and that does kind of come up like he's been there long enough at this point that like people do trust him but like they do kind of still refer to him as like a big city boy as like a joke because they also know that where he's from is not a big place but like it's a lot bigger than what they're used to so they kind of like poke fun at him a little bit but they do trust him at this point for the most part okay so he kind of um when he shows up to betsy's house he kind of like gives her a hard time about not coming to see him for this injury he's like girl you this is not okay <laughs> <laughs> well maybe she needs a little tough love and he pulls out a bottle of Oxy that he has, um, as part of a separate storyline, received from a Purdue Pharma representative, like a sales rep, that came to talk to him. And the sales rep had said, we're not supposed to do this, but here's a little sample for you. Um, so you can go ahead and give this to some of your patients and see what happens. So he just happened upon this doctor in small town Appalachia. And was like, well, let me give you some oxy. Um, happened upon. That sounds targeted, my dude. Oh, it's, yeah. It's not happened upon. It's very okay. targeted. Um, we'll, Got it. we'll get more into that later. And to be fair, Dr. Phoenix was like, when he was first presented with the oxy, he was like, mm, I don't know about this. Like, this seems a little wild. Like, I have medication that I have always used with my patients and I am like kind of suspicious of this new drug that you're saying is like a miracle drug and if it's really like an opioid I don't know that I need to really be prescribing this to my patients but you know the sales reps like here you go give this a shot and at this point he's like okay here's my patient Betsy she's really in pain she's like screaming it's really bad I'm gonna go ahead and give this to her I've been and like he he says like several times throughout the series like he clearly has delivered all of these people he delivered them as babies like he's known them uh, okay their whole lives so he does have like a very like i would say much more intimate 
relationship with all these patients than your average doctor would like he knows their families he's been around them forever so it's clearly affecting him to see her in such pain so he gives her oxy and he's like go ahead and try this out we'll see how it works yikes and it works great obviously (laughs) yeah yeah works great excellent he also i can't remember if it was during this conversation or another conversation they had later but he basically indicates to betsy that he knows that she's gay and that if she you know has the means to get out then she should like oh, okay i thought you were gonna be like and he's a villain and he was like die because you're gay no 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 he was he basically like indicated like he knows like that there's stuff going on in her life that's like upsetting her and like he i he doesn't say it in so many words but he's basically like i see you this is not going to be a fun place for you to be um and she says like oh like i could move to eureka springs like i'm thinking about it and he's like i think that's a great idea i think you should do that okay so he's kind of like her confidant as well as her doctor which is a little you know questionable it's a little Yeah. Maybe that was like something he shouldn't have done. But yeah, maybe she also needed the advice. Yeah. So she's on Oxy. She's feeling better. Everything's going great. Um, she tries to come out to her mom. Um, because she thinks like her mom is the more approachable one compared to her father. Listen, I've made that mistake too, girl. <laughs> yeah. So she and her mom are like working on their little sewing projects in the living room. And she says, mom, like, I think I should tell you something. She gives a whole speech. She's like, I like girls. That's always how it's been. And I'm tired of hiding it. And I think maybe if you talk to dad, then we can like make this okay. And it'll be okay. And it's not a big deal. And she gives this whole speech and her mom literally looks at her with like the coldest look. And she's like, did you say anything? Did you say something? What? She just is pretending she didn't hear her say something. Exactly. She's basically saying, like, we're going to pretend that you never said that to me. Not the whole speech, though, sis. Yeah. It's awful to watch. It's heartbreaking. It's, ugh. It's so frustrating. Because, like, when I pictured that conversation happening, I pictured, like, yelling, screaming, like crying this is almost like worse. a reaction yeah, yeah like not having a reaction i think is worse yeah and just being like i'm not even gonna give you i'm not even gonna give you the dignity of like acknowledging that i heard what you said like ugh. like you're not like that's not part of your personhood and i won't acknowledge it yeah um so while this is going on um betsy is quickly becoming super addicted to oxy And she takes it all so fast that she, like, runs out of what the doctor had given her. And she starts going through withdrawal. And so she's dizzy and shaky and out of it. Um, And she's working in the mine while she's dizzy and shaky and out of it. Oh, she's still working in the mine while this is Mm -hmm. happening. Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. Um, And she, what she's supposed to do is, like, read a meter And I don't know anything about how mines work, so I don't know what's going on here. She's supposed to read a meter and tell the guy that it's safe to do something, something. She, like, reads the meter and we see how blurry it is to her because she's, like, Mm -hmm. super out of it. And an explosion happens as as a result of her 
kind of not being able to do her job because she's going through withdrawal. Um, Cut to she's at the hospital. She is okay. Like she has like minor injuries and they tell her that a man is going to lose his arm because of this explosion. Basically, her parents are very upset with her because she caused this accident, basically. And they realize at that point that like something's going on with her, like something's off with her. Um, And they kind of like realize that something it has something to do with the medication that she's been taking. Um, She kind of starts to spiral at this point, which I understand because she is like burdened with the guilt of knowing that like she caused this horrible accident. And it's not just the one guy that's hurt. It's like a bunch of people are hurt. Like he was the worst one. But, you know, like she's caused a lot of pain and suffering because of her illness that she basically has but her solution obviously is she needs more pills because <laughs> i was gonna say to call osha and be like uh i can't work when i'm on medication no she's like i need more pills because i feel better when i'm on them so oh okay that sounds yeah. good she kind of loses her relationship with grace at this point um there's not like an explicit breakup but basically like she starts kind of standing her up like there's a scene where like grace is like waiting for her outside this bar or whatever and betsy calls and is like yeah i can't make it tonight like sorry i don't feel good and it's kind of like implied that over time like grace just can't deal with her like being a flake anymore um so they kind of lose that relationship um, her mom starts taking her taking her to AA, which is like kind of a big step. She's like, "Okay, like you have a problem. We're gonna get you better." <laughs> Did NA not exist at this time? Um, they might have actually said it might have been NA, yeah. But you know, sometimes they like call it AA, even if it's technically NA. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in any case, somebody there sells her drugs in the bathroom because. That's kind of where it's at as, at that as point. As you do. Yeah. yeah. And she spirals out of control even more. Um, she tries heroin, which, you know, is better for her and easier for her to get her hands on than trying to get more meds from doctors. Better is a word. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's better for her. She has spiraled so far out of control at this point that she is stealing her mother's jewelry and selling it at pawn shops to buy drugs. Does her mom know? Does she notice? She doesn't notice until it's, like, way too late. Like, she, at one point, like, opens her jewelry box, and it's empty. Oh, okay. And she also, like, took her mother's wedding ring and sold it. So. (gasps) Not the wedding ring, sis. Ah, She'll never know this is missing. (laughs) I don't know what the story was with, like, why she had taken it off, but, yeah, like, She goes, and of course, like, the parents go to the pawn shop and they, like, try to explain what happened. But obviously the guy is like, no, like, she sold it to me. Like, you can't have it back. Like, you can buy it back from me. Yeah, they're not just going to give it back to you because you have a sob story. Um, Meanwhile, Dr. Phoenix, Mr. Michael Keaton, has also become addicted to Oxy. Because he was in a car accident and he went to the ER and they gave him Oxy. Um, so he's become addicted. He's still practicing as a doctor at this point. Ruh-roh. That's 
a little bit scarier. <laughs> He's stealing Oxy, essentially, and hoarding it in his drawer. Like, if he has a patient that, like, says, like, oh, I'm better, I don't need the Oxy anymore, because some people don't get addicted to it for whatever reason, he's like, oh, cool, just give me that bottle with the pills left in it. Like, I'll dispose of it for you. And then he puts Mm -hmm. it in his drawer. Yeah. I don't think so. So he actually ends up hurting somebody while he's, I forget if it was when he was high or when he was in withdrawal. I think he might have been in withdrawal and he hurt a patient. Like, purposefully? No, accidentally, but he was just like, yeah. And it was witnessed by someone that worked in his office and he lost his medical license. Oh, shit. That that was fast. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they found the pills in his office drawer and they were like, girl, you can't be doing this. So he um, goes to rehab and there his doctor says, you should try methadone. It really helps people get off of the drugs. And he learns that even if he stays clean, as long as he's taking methadone, he can't be a doctor again because it's still considered a drug. So it's really sad because he all he wants to do is be a doctor and he can't. Well, that sucks. Yeah, because his options are stay on the methadone and like hopefully stay clean or like go off the methadone, become a doctor again, but then risk like relapsing. And he's really scared of relapsing. Yeah, I mean, well, how old is he? Do they say? Um, he's clearly like in his maybe early sixties. Oh yeah. By the time you work through all that, and you think maybe you're clean enough to like try and stay clean on your own, he'll be too old to be a doctor. And he like doesn't have the family support because like his wife has passed. Like, it shows that he still has a relationship with, I believe, his wife's sister. Like, they do talk, but he is kind of alone. Mm, Okay. That is really sad. Yeah. Um, So he's doing well on methadone, and he hears through the grapevine how horrible Betsy is doing. And he's like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call it Betsy. I'm going to say, first of all, I'm so sorry for for giving you that medication. He says, I didn't know. I didn't realize how bad it was. The sales reps convinced me that it was safe. And I'm really sorry that I gave you that. And he says, if I can help you in any way, I want to do that. And he says, I've been on methadone and it's really helped. And I'm going to offer to drive you to the methadone clinic, which is like an hour away or something. He's like, I will drive you there every day. We're going to do it together. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. And she has like a discussion with her mom about it. And she says, I really want to try this. And her mom, because methadone is like new to her mom, she's like, what is that? She's like, oh, that sounds like you're just trading in one drug for another. And what you really need to do is believe in a higher power. No. Mm -mm. That'll Mm -mm. fix everything. Yeah. And Betsy says, mom, I don't believe in a higher power. I only believe in heroin whoa okay i think that's like a wake-up call for her mom she's like okay like this like clearly isn't working like going to to church and like because they do take her to church and have everyone pray over her and say like may this addiction leave you or whatever how many times do they do that before they uh realized it didn't work (laughs) (laughs) well obviously it's just her fault right you know she's not believing enough oh okay got it yeah 
Um, and so in this conversation, when she says, I only believe in heroin, her mom says, I heard you that night when you told me that you liked girls. And I feel really horrible that I didn't say anything because I feel like this is all my fault because I didn't say anything that night. And I was like, yes, ma'am, it is your fault. <laughs> I mean, it was a contributing factor. Yeah. And Betsy says, no, no, like, it's not your fault. This isn't why this happened. And I was like, uh, I think it's a big part of why this happened. And her mom says, I want you to know that when you're better, I want you to have a girlfriend and I'll cook you both dinner and breakfast and anything you want. Oh, that's sweet. And Betsy says, that sounds really great. Um, I have to get better first. And so her mom says, okay, like, let's try the methadone then. If you, if you think that this is what you need to do, then we'll try that. Okay. Progress. Progress. Yeah. Progress. Like allowing her to like make her own decision and like supporting her in that decision, even if she doesn't feel great about it. She basically calls Dr. Phoenix and says, okay, I will go with you to the methadone clinic. Um, she then calls Grace, who is now living in Eureka Springs. Oh. And Grace is like, ooh, how are you? Because like she's heard bad things. <laughs> and she's like, I think I finally am getting this under control. Like I think... I'm going in the right direction. And Grace is like, oh, that's so great to hear. And she's like, when I'm finally better, do you think we can try again? Because I like, I want to be with you. And we then see a wide shot of behind Grace is a woman and a baby. Not a whole baby, sis. Yeah, a whole baby. So spoiler alert, uh, Grace has moved on. And she says something like, Oh, I don't think we can try again, but I would really like to be friends with you. And it's sad. And Betsy is clearly devastated. Like, looking at her, you can clearly see that she was really holding on to that. Like, oh, as soon as I get better, I can get back with Grace. Like, she clearly thought that that was what was going to happen. That is very sad. I mean, it's also an unrealistic expectation, but it is really sad to watch play out. Oh, for sure. And I think part of it is like, if you're really like one of two queer people in your entire town, you might think like, oh, that's just going to be like the one person that I can always go back to. But she moved away to Eureka Springs and found someone else. So Betsy is clearly broken by this news. And she decides that she's going to go out for one last heroin hurrah before she starts methadone the next day. Why is it always the one last heroin hurrah? Because she just lost the love of her life and she is feeling real sorry for herself and i get it i do but yeah she's like okay one last time and she ods and dies of course no i mean i saw it coming but damn yeah i mean especially because i kept emphasizing to you what a bummer this is yeah that's not like a happy ending yeah so it's really sad you see the next day dr phoenix is like waiting around in the parking lot where he said he would meet her to oh, take no. her to the clinic and he goes to a payphone and he calls betsy's house and is like hey are you guys still coming like what's going on and it's her mom and she just says betsy's in heaven now and i don't like that it's it's real sad and then in a flash forward we see that later her mom has become an activist basically against like the opioid pharmaceutical producers well that's good yeah but it's kind of that thing that it's like oh look you loved your daughter when it was already too late great 
<laughs> to be fair, she loved her when she was still alive. She didn't know she was going to do the last hurrah thing. And of course, that's how that's how they had to do the narrative. Finally, her mom is like accepting her. And then this is going to happen. So that's basically Betsy's story on Dope Sick. There's a lot of other stuff that goes on in the show. Like you follow Dr. Phoenix's story. You also follow the story of the Sackler family, who are the family that own Purdue Pharma. And you follow, there's like a DEA agent who's basically trying to put restrictions on the drug and is running up into like a lot of resistance from the FDA, which you then find out is because there's a lot of bribery going on, unsurprisingly. And then also like the attorney general who's trying to prosecute the Sackler family. So just to like kind of give you a better idea of what was going on throughout the show, um, now that we've concluded Betsy's very sad, sad story, Purdue Pharma basically the whole time what they were doing is they used misleading graphs and misleading language in their marketing materials. Like they literally like shrunk the scale on a graph to make it look like it was something compared what? to a graph with a different scale. Yeah. Wow. The sales reps were absolutely out of control. They were offered paid vacations um, if they sold the most drugs. And they were specifically told to target mining communities, of course. They claimed that it was non-addictive based on a quote-unquote study in a medical journal that really, once they were able to dig up the study, they learned that it was really just a doctor who, like, wrote in and was like, here is what I have found in my practice. That is not a study. Yeah. And the doctor himself was horrified to find out that people had been citing this letter that he wrote in as a study. So they used that quote-unquote study to say that very few people get addicted, which is obviously not true. They also made a commercial in which they told the people that were participating that they were just doing a PSA about how pain medication can help you if you have like a really bad injury. But then they used it as an oxy commercial. Mm. Mm -mm. Exactly. And they also like bribed people by saying like, oh, if you do this for us, like we'll give you a job at Purdue and you'll make millions of dollars. And they bribed doctors and... You know, they paid doctors to, like, say whatever they wanted them to say and say, like, oh, I'm a medical expert and this is my medical opinion. I want to act surprised, but this is, like, the road for most medications, so. Yeah. They also obviously encouraged doctors to prescribe crazy high doses to start. Like, they were like, oh, you know how we can sell more? We can have them, instead of prescribing 10 milligrams, they'll prescribe 40 to start. 40? Jesus. Yeah. They made up this phrase breakthrough pain to describe basically what happens when it wears off and is not working anymore. And they're like, oh, that's what we call breakthrough pain. And the solution is to prescribe double the dose and then it should help. Stop. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. Mm -mm. It was it was wild. It was unhinged and it went on for a long ass time. And that's, you know, kind of how we ended up in the opioid epidemic to begin with. So now I have a little bit of how things ended for Purdue Pharma. This is not going to be satisfying. <laughs> I know I've seen a, a, a documentary about um, it was like focused on specifically a woman in Louisiana that mm -hmm. was just like she was a doctor and she was prescribing opioids to everyone, specifically Oxy. Um, and she it killed a bunch of people and she was being paid by the Purdue people mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So in 2007, the company pleaded guilty to misleading the public about OxyContin's risk of addiction and agreed to pay $600 million in one of the largest pharmaceutical settlements in U.S. history. Um, and in today's money, that is almost $800 million, which is kind of scary. The company's president, top lawyer, and former chief medical officer pleaded guilty as individuals to misbranding and paid about $35 million in fines. Um, three executives were charged with a felony and sentenced to 400 hours of community service. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's great. How's that going? Did they do that even? I don't even know, honestly. The Sackler family that whole time got no punishment because they claimed that they didn't know what was going on, that it was all the executives that were doing it. Likely. Very likely. Yeah. And then in 2021, Purdue was dissolved in a bankruptcy settlement. The Sacklers will have to turn over billions of dollars, but they are shielded from liability and cannot be prosecuted. And they will remain one of the wealthiest families in the country. Boo. Hiss. <laughs> yeah. So awful. And that is the story of Dopesick, um, with a focus on Betsy, the queer character, who died because, of course... With the focus on capitalism, I would like to point that out. Oh, yeah, of course. Also, capitalism. That was a real bummer. So I can kind of see why it didn't win the GLAAD award, I guess. <laughs> They're like, bad, bad representation. I'd rather have them have a queer character, but yeah, it was kind of wild. I think it's great that they had a queer character because queer people have higher rates of addiction. Yeah, that's definitely true. And... You know, family support is one of the biggest things mm -hmm. in getting through addiction. And she didn't have it until the very end. So, yep. Like, there's so many factors in why addiction grabs the hold of queer people more than other people. Like, you need family support to get out of it. You need money to get out of it. All these things queer people usually don't have. And then, like when you feel like your relationships start to dissolve that adds to it but like if your relationship is your only support system what are you going to do then so yeah just all of these things compounded make for a really bad situation for someone who is an addict yeah and it's just like when your world is so small that mm -hmm. like you don't know anything else aside from like working in mines and like being with your family and being with your church and that's kind of it. Like, yeah. it's hard to envision another future. And that can really make it harder to get out of addiction because you're just, like, kind of stuck in a loop. Yeah, it's very, very sad and very unfortunate. So on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, they, they definitely should have had a queer character. And that that is honest representation. But it's also a real bummer summer. Yeah, I hate to see queer people hurt on TV and film. Yeah, and, like... They very much, like, towards the end, tried to be like, oh, look at her poor mother. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I don't feel bad for her. Like, I feel a little bad for her, but, like, they kind of made it all about her in the end. Yeah, I feel a little bad for her, but I feel more bad for the addict, obviously. Yeah. So, I really enjoyed the show. I think it's worth watching, but it is, like, a huge bummer. Yeah, I don't know that I would watch it, so I'm glad you told me about the queer character. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a rough one. Um, 
And I, once again, as per usual, didn't know going in that there was a queer character in this. Okay. It was a surprise. A pleasant and unpleasant surprise. Same for mine. I didn't know there was a queer character and I tried to stay away from like reading anything about it or anything like that. All right. Well, are you going to tell me about it? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So I'll give you my quick info from the top. Nope is a 2022 film. It's rated R and it's 132 minutes long. The director and writer is Jordan Peele. It stars Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Brandon Perea, and Steven Yeun. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gives it an 82%, but the audience score is a 69%, which I rarely see a lower audience score. Hmm. So the independent, though, gave it a 5 out of 5. And IMDb has it at 6.9 out of 10, um, which is kind of average for IMDb. I'm going into this with, like, no previous knowledge, but I almost wonder if, like, because everyone loved Get Out so much, if they, like, had a really high bar and then they're like, I, for some reason, am disappointed that this wasn't exactly like Get Out or something. Yeah, and I, I think when you start with Get Out, like you expect everything to live up to that. Like, I didn't really care for us. Like, I didn't really care for that. I liked Candyman, the remake. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one I did, I absolutely really liked. I gave it a five out of five when I reviewed it for my website. So, fuck all those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, it seems to be pretty polarizing, I guess. I don't know. People just didn't get it. Let's go there. So, the movie starts with a death, obviously, of course right off the bat um you see oj or otis jr and his father otis senior are teaching horses tricks at their isolated farm in central california they run a business where they like train and handle horses for um films so they're on hollywood sets a lot Mm -hmm. and you can tell right off the bat that oj is kind of bored kind of listless he has a really detached personality i think and then suddenly out of fucking nowhere the clouds seem to like gather over them and like it looks like a storm is like right above them and then all of a sudden like the horses get spooked and they like rear up and they start like running and stuff and small objects start to fall out of the sky Mm, like random objects very very random and then um otis senior gets hit with something and he like collapses on his horse and like they cut to OJ driving him to a hospital and he's just like profusely bleeding out of his head and he can't he's like slurring his speech and OJ is just trying to like get him to talk so he's asking him to like name the horses and stuff and it's so fucking sad he just like dies in the car Hmm. when he gets back to the ranch he places one of those like medical biohazard plastic bags and he like pins it to a board and it has a single nickel in it. So a nickel fell through his father's head. Wow. And killed him. Okay. Yeah. I guess it, like it had so much force. It fell straight through. Some like money symbolism. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 I guess it's later revealed that, quote, the authorities said that it was junk from a plane. And they were like, that's a good enough explanation. And they like, that's it. That's all they gave them. So... I don't know about that. (laughs) Anyway, this leaves OJ to take up the business on his own or he'll have no ranch, no place to live, no job. And they do show him like on a Hollywood set later, but he's not personable. 
so he's like trying to engage the people and like give them their like spiel of what they do and like how to properly like be around the animal the horse but he's pretty bad at it. <laughs> i find that very relatable <laughs> <laughs> yes it makes me feel very awkward and it's kind of like revealed that his sister kiki palmer um she is just like running late and she's the one that usually does the like spiel about like how they got started and stuff like that um and her name is emerald haywood and she's hella personable like she's loud and charismatic and cool and fashionable and you just kind of like love her right away now she is our queer character (laughs) okay okay Mm -hmm. and she is really good representation because she's so like likable and fun and there's nothing like sad (laughs) like she does have like sad moments and i'll tell you about those in a minute but like she's not walking around with this storm cloud above her head crying because she's queer Mm mm-hmm It appears that she's a lesbian, but there's no, like, big coming out scene they don't say. She just starts talking about women she's trying to get with, and her brother goes with it. Like, that's totally normal from her. In my opinion, it was a really good way to include a queer character as, like, a main character. Mm -hmm. We didn't need it to be about her, like, sad, sad coming out story. Um, And she does have trauma, but, like, her dad, just like any other dad, (laughs) he was distant, and he chose her brother over her. And they do, like, have a big talk about it. Her and OJ have a big talk about it at some point. That she really wanted to be part of the business. And she was going to, like, train a specific horse. And it was going to be her horse. But, like, her dad gave that horse to OJ. Of course. Yeah, and he didn't tell her. Like, she woke up the next day thinking she was going to go do that. And OJ was outside training the horse with Otis Sr. Oh, no. Yeah, like, she just didn't tell her. He just iced her out. It was really fucked up. So she has a lot of problems with that, but... And I think in some ways it does make her distant from OJ, but she doesn't blame him either. Like, she's not Mm -hmm. mad at him. She's kind of just mad at the situation. And now that their dad is dead, like, it seems like she's trying to make amends with him. Like, she's trying to be fun with him. She's trying to drink with him and dance with him. So, yeah. Um, And, like, because of the way Otis Sr. iced her out, she doesn't take the business seriously. That's why she's so late. Mm -hmm. She doesn't give a fuck. She doesn't really show up at their house. She, like, lives with other people or whatever um but i think in a lot of ways she kind of feels cornered because she feels like she needs to help her brother keep the business to keep the farm and the ranch or whatever and at first though you think like oh she's gonna run like she's having fun but she's gonna go back to because they live in the ranches in central california and she lives in la Mm. so you think she's gonna like go back to la and party or whatever and just fuck the whole thing um but then as soon as they have their heart to heart something happens at the ranch Uh like mm -hmm, she's dancing and she sees that like one of their most prized horses his name is lucky he is out in the in the ring where they teach them how to do training tricks and he's supposed to be like put away in the stable um so like oj's like oh i gotta go get him so he goes outside to get him and she's like turning up the music and partying or whatever but the horse gets spooked all of a sudden and then the power like blinks in and out inside the house and then the storm clouds roll in and you're like oh fuck so then like i should explain like at this point they only have very few horses because oj had to sell a bunch of them to make ends meet Mm -hmm. so like they don't have as many horses as they used to so it's a big deal that he has to get lucky and bring him in or whatever right yeah 
he actually sold most of the horses to this guy named Ricky Park, but he goes by Jupe. Um, he runs a neighboring Western-themed town entertainment park, like one of those like mm-hmm. little, like little on the, rodeo on the side thing. Of the road. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he's a washed-up child star, and he was involved in a really, really traumatic event that was televised in the '80s. So he was acting on stage, and they had a trained monkey that was on the show, and like they had balloons and they let the balloons go and the lights popped them and it scared the monkey so he attacked the entire cast oh no like one of them he was supposed to be like the 10 11 year old and then he had like a a older teenage sister he like ripped the older teenage sister's face off jesus okay so spoiler alert like it looks like she dies in his memory of the accident she didn't die like she's there at the end of the movie Mm. Uh, okay um Anyway, so it's kind of, like, revealed, like, when OJ goes to, like, sell more horses to him earlier in the film, he takes M with him, and, like, she asks him about, like, his childhood, like, his childhood acting, because she liked the show, and, like, he shows her, he has this whole secret room of, like, memorabilia that is from the show, including things from the accident, so he has, like, a bloodstained shoe, like, it's pretty sick, and, like, clearly he makes money off of it. Oh, okay gross yeah that's how he deals with his trauma and you're like what the fuck ricky like i don't he is (laughs) very sus as a character anyway so because of this oj has to go after that horse and he can't catch him and things start to fall from the sky again so he takes shelter because he's outside and m stays inside but she sees what's happening and it's like more change like it's junk but it's like a lot of change is falling from the sky and you're like what the fuck so then after it like ends um oj reveals to her that that's what happened when their dad died like it was really weird like i guess they hadn't opened up about what happened like she kind of just knew that something fell from the sky and hit her dad in the head or whatever and she had no further questions about that i guess I maybe he fed her the line that it was like junk from a plane or whatever and like I think she did have questions but she didn't know how to ask them and this was like okay you have to explain what's going on here like it doesn't just rain change on our fucking ranch like that's crazy no it does that's regular (laughs) so they put it together and while it's raining change they see it looks like one of the clouds is shaped like a UFO and it kind of like fades away so Sam is like fucking aliens ufo like she starts going wild and she's like gets this idea in her mind that if they can capture it on film they can make a ton of money they save the ranch they don't need all the horses blah 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 okay (laughs) yeah so they go to your local fries (laughs) oh my god fries i think fries doesn't exist anymore like this was shot before they bankrupted i don't know but it's like a physical location yeah, there's one of those in uh, City of Industry. It's gone. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's shut down. <laughs> Anthony used to go all the time. <laughs> well, I've just received some very bad news. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I'm so sorry to be the bear of bad news. It's okay. <laughs> it's like a glorified, like, superstore version of Best Buy. But if anyone doesn't know. They have a lot of refurbished stuff. So a lot of stuff is cheap. It's known for having affordable electronics. You know I like a good deal, so this is tragic, but carry on. I can't with you. <laughs> um, so they go there, and they get all kinds of, like, surveillance stuff to try and catch it on film, right? And when they, like, 
let it slip that this is basically what they're doing. The young cashier is like, he's kind of rude in the beginning, but then he suddenly like perks up and he becomes involved (laughs) and he like helps them set up the cameras at their home. He helps with like home installation. His name is Angel. Um, and he and M right away are like on team aliens. They're like, this, this is an alien UFO and we're going to catch it. And they're kind of like a good bro TP. Like you, Mm -hmm. you love that they're best friends. Um, I kind of love them together. Busties for life. And they do eventually discover that there is no UFO in the sky or at least not a ship. It is an unidentified flying object, but the object it turns out is a creature. Uh oh. <laughs> so when flying, it looks like a goddamn pierogi. Like it's shaped like a, like it looks like a cowboy hat from the bottom. Mm-hmm. And there's like a hole in the bottom, and that's how it like sucks things up to eat them. So it's like a mouth, <laughs> and it sucks up like people and animals, so like organic matter to eat them. And that's why it rains coins and objects. It's throwing up things in their pockets that makes the thing oh, sick. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. why there's so much change. Um, so the trio, OJ, his sister Emerald, and Angel from Fries. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just like attached them. He's funny. I love him. They figure this out and they know they have to get rid of it and get it on camera in order to make money. So they devise a plan to lure it out. They have like a fake horse and some plastic pennants on it to get it to be like sick, to spit them out. Um, and they actually bring on this like uppity cameraman who's like a big deal in Hollywood that they met on set earlier in the film. Um, and he brings a hand cranked mechanical IMAX camera. So it's not digital. Mm-hmm. So he, he'll be able to catch it like the electricity thing won't bother it. Uh-huh. And it's revealed that Jupe lured the creature there. Jupe Ricky. Like he's using it as an attraction at his entertainment park. Um, I would love to see how he advertises that. I don't... Okay, he did advertise it, but he was saying, like, it's a big event. He didn't say what it was. That's not very good marketing, but okay. (laughs) It's supposed to be, like, a big mystery, I guess. But anyway, he, like, thinks it could come out by, like, giving it to a goat to eat or something, and that's, like, his big event. So he, like, invited all these people, and he invited that girl who got her face torn off, and she has, like, a veil. And he's like, oh, my old-time friend from my show. And she's there to witness it. And his whole thing is like, I can wrangle this creature. Like with a with a lasso or like how? No, just like by giving it like food and being like, oh, everyone look at it. There it is. Okay, question. Mm-hmm. When this thing comes to eat, does it like stay all the way up in the sky or does it like lower itself down? No, it, it, it kind of like does. It can do either, I guess, but it mostly okay. stays up in the sky. It kind of just sucks it up. Okay. Like a little cyclone. Interesting. Okay. But anyway, like, he didn't learn that you can't train animals to perform for you. They will kill you. So he sets that up and he thinks it's going to be this big event or whatever. And his wife and kids are there. And all these people are watching, waiting for the mysterious thing to appear. It eats everybody. The whole fucking audience. Everybody's dead. Okay. Cool, cool. (laughs) So then it starts coming toward Hayward Ranch. And you're like, oh, our trio, they're going to figure it out. Um, And they have a trap. So it actually sucks up part of the trap and it gets like barbed wire fencing in its mouth and it doesn't like that. Mm, Um, I wouldn't. So then it gets angry and it actually unfolds to reveal 
that it looks more like a giant, wavy, and thin-skinned squid jellyfish that flies in the air. Horrifying, but whimsical. I like it. <laughs> yes, yes. So, like, it unfolds, and you're like, what the fuck is this? And it has, like, a pulsing mouth now, and you're like, oh, my God. Um, but, like, in the end, M gets so into the plan and reveals that she cares so much about her brother. The cameraman does get the shot, but he gets eaten. Ah, <laughs> uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Angel gets injured, but does his best. Sweet baby Angel. <laughs> um, OJ attempts to sacrifice himself so that M can get away, but, like, she figures out a way to get a photo of the thing and make it sick. And so what she does is she, like, rides a motorbike to the western town that Jupe ran that's currently a crime scene, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she runs to the wishing well, and it's one of those ones where you, like, put a coin in, you look in, and it takes a picture of you from the bottom up. I have literally never heard of that, but okay. Oh, well, they have a lot of those that, like, um, like those abandoned western towns or whatever. So, like, it takes a picture of you looking down into the well? Yes. Yeah. I feel like that would be the least flattering angle. <laughs> I don't know. It's some sort of old-timey novelty or whatever. All right. I'm learning all kinds of new things today. Fries is closed. People <laughs> get to take little pictures of themselves looking down I'm into a well. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry <laughs> to reveal that to you. It's um, okay. <laughs> okay, so she figures out a way to get that. Like, she puts coins in it as it's passing over to get the shot of it. So she lets go of this parade-like balloon. It's huge. And it's of jupe. And he's like a little cowboy or whatever. And she, like, chops it up. So she, like, lets it go. So he thinks it's a person and, like, the the creature. And it makes, like, eye contact with it. And it's like, oh, I'm going to eat it. It goes to eat it. And obviously it's made of fucking, like, giant vinyl blown mm-hmm. up air. And she takes pictures as it's passing over. And she does get an actual photo proof of it. And, like, when it tries to eat it, it explodes. And it just explodes into tiny pieces. <laughs> so, like, the creature explodes. Because of the vinyl? <laughs> because of the... They try to eat the balloon, and it popped inside of them. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, basically, like, they saved the day, and they got their shot just as the cops show up. And the last thing we see is of OJ riding their main horse, Lucky. So, he got the horse back, and he's safe and sound. And M is safe and sound. They get to be like a happy family who got their shot. <laughs> and they know what happened. Um, and I looked up a bunch of stuff. Like a lot of the critics really liked it. The audience didn't really. I guess they don't get like um, like the creature feature kind of thing. They were just mm-hmm. like not into the creature. And I, yeah. I get it. It was kind of it can be kind of goofy. But I thought it was interesting. And Peel specifically said that the movie is about race, human nature, and spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that. And I think, like, an interesting way to go about showing that is, I don't, okay, so, like, obviously, like, the fact that the main family, OJ and Otis Sr. and M, they're Black. Mm-hmm. And they have a really hard time in the Hollywood industry getting people to take them seriously and so one of the things they tell people in their little spiel that Emma's supposed to give is that the first ever um, thing caught on film which is 100% true by the way is a recording of a black man riding a horse mm-hmm. and they are related to him like that's their like great 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 or whatever that's cool so that's their like 
yeah, they're like claim to fame. Like we started film, we started with horses, and this mm-hmm. is where we are today. Take us seriously, mm-hmm. basically. And that is true. That person does exist. So I thought that was really cool or whatever. But it does show like they live this completely different existence than white people. And same for Jupe. Jupe is Asian. And like, it's possible like he wasn't taken seriously as like a child actor, an Asian man. And his only way to like cope with his trauma and maintain his like status was by like exploiting his own trauma. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a really good movie, and I don't know what the fuck anyone was talking about. <laughs> and Kiki Palmer, Miss Emerald Hayward, was a really good, I think, really good queer representation. Like, she has faults, but they're not, like, irredeemable. She's very fun. She's very, like, you see that she can easily make friends. Like, I think a lot of times we get wrapped up in, like, a queer story that's sad and like they have nobody and they come from nobody and it's like no this person has a family and mm-hmm. she has her own things that have nothing to do with being queer going on and she's still a regular degular person in fact mm-hmm. she might even be a better person than most people like more interesting more clever i guess and i she to live <laughs> yeah i mean that really surprised me um <laughs> Did you already say how did they like reveal that she was queer? Um, they just like, um, they're her and her brother are writing back home after the Hollywood job they had that didn't go well, and she talks about like wanting to hook up with this girl, so she's thinking about going back into LA later. Oh, okay. And he's like, oh, okay, whatever. Like he's he's annoyed that she's just like doesn't really want to come home. Mm-hmm. Like the issue is not that she's with women. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if she's supposed to be like any other sexuality, but she doesn't talk about anybody else, just women. Mm-hmm. I know it's such a small connection, but. No, it's like, I don't know. That's cool that a queer person survives like a horror movie, I guess. A queer black person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They they all do survive, except for the white man. The white man dies. He was the, the film director with the IMAX and his hubris gets him into that like he wants the shot so bad he like goes up on a hill and the thing is like if you make eye contact with the monster it will go after you and eat you mm-hmm. so he makes eye contact with it because he's trying to get the shot and it sucks him up in its little cyclone and fucking eats him so <laughs> what what let's let's hear your take on this um so what is the what does the monster represent do you think um I feel like the monster represents like human hubris. So I don't think it had anything specific to do with queer people, <laughs> which is like, for me, that's, that's good news because mm-hmm. I don't want to hear about how queer people do this wrong or that wrong sometimes. <laughs> like, absolutely. I do think that we need to be featured in films where we are shown making true to life mistakes, like mm-hmm. somehow getting involved in addiction. That mm-hmm. absolutely makes sense to me. It's a realistic portrayal. But I think when I watch things like sci-fi like this or horror or thriller, I want to see things that are not realistic. Yeah. And I'm looking for something that's like off the wall crazy. And you have the power to be like, okay, all the black people live. It's going to be a story about a queer black person. Like you don't have to show 
these stereotypes over and over again like it's not necessary because it's a fucking fantasy like mm-hmm. there's no alien that's gonna come at you so why not let the black woman win yeah and like she was the one that figured out how to take its picture so mm-hmm. she she not only survived but she didn't survive on the coattails of anyone else like she didn't. no absolutely not her and her brother mastermind the whole thing and they figured it out and angel is a latinx person so mm-hmm. like they did it sis that's like definitely not at all what i expected from that movie based on just like the trailer but i do get that the trailer like tries not to reveal too much so i get it yeah i think honestly like when i did a review of it i was like i would have rather had not seen the character but i'm just that kind of person mm-hmm. i love when you don't see the threat when it's so scary because you don't get to make commentary on what it is i think when i saw it i was like oh that's silly Uh and that kind of like took me out of it but at the same time when you watch a jordan peele movie there is a sort of comedy about it like you wanna you need like to laugh a little bit because there is something very creepy and very realistic about the way he portrays otherworldly paranormal horror so you need that little comic relief (laughs) Yeah, there's something, like, even in something as serious as Get Out, like, there is a level of, like, ridiculousness and, like, preposterous things happening that you're just, like... Yeah. The, the like, metaphor itself totally holds, but the actual thing that you're seeing, you're, like, that's so silly. Yeah. Like, when the, uh, what is, I can't remember her name, but the girlfriend at the end is, like eating fruit loops by dipping one at a time into milk or whatever so yeah exactly (laughs) stuff like that where you're just like what did i just see but yeah yeah you do have to laugh at a little bit and i that obviously that comes from his comedy background but Mm -hmm. i think he has such a good way of mixing the two together that it creates this sort of realism that you don't see in other horror or thriller films you just don't Mm mm-hmm how how was the the CGI for the creature? Like, was it? It was it was really good. Like, it was okay. really convincing. Though okay. I will say that, like, it looked very realistic. Um, I didn't like when it was like still in its like first form. It looked like a flying pierogi. I was like, that's gross. Like, it looked... <laughs> I was um, a little bit weirded out by that creature. I'm definitely gonna have to look this up because I just can't picture any of this like i don't know literally i did not know you ever see it so i i'm sure it's out there i just don't know Mm -hmm. but you should watch it it's really good and i figured this was a good one to do for this like style episode because we can't make a whole episode out of just this one thing to talk about one queer character but i can give you a little synopsis (laughs) so from one to ten flying pierogies how many (laughs) flying pierogies would you give it out of 10, I'm going to give it, like, eight pierogies. Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. And what about you? One to 10 um, oxies. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'll give it, like, 8.5 oxies, I guess. Oh, that's really good. That TV gets you every time. It really, it was good. It was a good show. I think, if anything, the ending felt a little abrupt, but I get why they did that, so. Okay. And I think it's also hard because there's, like, stuff that was happening, like, 
presumably while they were filming, like stuff happening with like court cases and stuff that they like couldn't include because it was like an active thing. And it makes sense why it's an unsatisfying ending because it's an unsatisfying ending in real life. So um, do you want to tell the people what you've been watching or reading? Oh, this this is actually relevant for once. Um, my mom has once again convinced me to watch one of her favorite shows of all time, um, which is Six Feet Under. Oh, I've always wanted to watch that. Um, okay. I'm only like five or six episodes in. I gotta say so far it's pretty rough for me. It's um okay. it started, I believe, in two thousand two thousand one, I think. Yeah, it's an oldie. It's very dated. Like it feels dated. Um because it was I believe an HBO original, if I'm not mistaken. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very heavy on the sex and relationships in a very early 2000s way that I find very cringy. Okay. And I told my mom I'm going to keep giving it, like, another chance because I'm hoping, like, at some point the plot will become about something else. But literally right now it's just, like, this person's in this relationship, this person's in this relationship, and it feels very, like, I don't know. it's not enough to like hold my attention really because it's just people having weird early 2000s relationship miscommunications okay it's like a glorified soap opera yeah a little bit yeah and like the things that they're trying to be funny about are you know that early 2000s very problematic humor that happens one of the episodes a porn star dies and you know, they have to, like, prepare her body and a lot of, like, really weird things are said while they're doing that. And it was just kind of like, ew, okay. Mm, I don't like that. Okay. Like, I get that everyone thought this was fucking hilarious in 2001, but. Yeah, it's been, like, 20 years, so. Yeah. Um, Sandra O oh is in that episode. She plays. Um, oh, really? She plays another porn star. And it's really funny to see her doing that. I could never see her playing a porn star. So that's interesting. She plays like a real like she's really ditzy and she's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's really funny to watch because that's not at all the character that she plays in like anything else. So, yeah, I feel like she has a lot more serious woman roles now. Yeah. Um, she's so very young in that. The other person who's also so very young is Michael C. Hall, who plays a gay character on the show. So, okay, get it, Dexter. Okay. Did you know that he is gay on the show? Um, no, but I've heard he's in it, so. Yeah. So he's in it. He's a little baby, um, and he plays a baby gay on the show, and it's, like, just a very typical early 2000s, like, look at us being so progressive storyline of, like, he's a closeted gay man who's, like, trying to have a boyfriend while still being closeted, and his boyfriend gets very frustrated with him not accepting himself for who he is. And he's also okay. trying to like stay active in the church while also being closeted. That's a whole thing. So I don't like that. But that's a very 2001 storyline and it does have queer people in it. So yeah. And I mean, like they don't handle it terribly. Like it is very much like a lot of the show is from his perspective and like very much is sympathetic towards his uh, dilemma. So I'm not mad at it for that reason. I'm just finding it a little boring that it's just all about the relationships and I want a little more 
background plot to be happening. Anything else? Oh, if you want to watch something that is very similar to Dope Sick in its themes and the fact that it's based on a real story, um, I recommend The Dropout, which is another Hulu original. Oh, I think that one's on my list. About... um, now I can't even remember the name of the company but this woman that created a medical device that like never really worked and somehow got away with it and made millions and millions of dollars um and her downfall it's a very interesting story okay that sounds good yeah it's it's like there's still some heavy stuff in it but it's much lighter than dope sick overall it's a good way I think to learn about like true events while still being entertained as stupid as that may sound like I probably never would have like sat down and read a book about this stuff but I'm glad that I know about it now so it's another drama series not a docuseries correct it's another drama series it's like a limited I think it's also eight episodes it's very much in the same vein okay I know people don't like that but I'm the kind of person that can't pay attention for too long so I love little bite-sized mini stuff yeah for sure uh, what are you watching, reading, etc.? So much. Um, I did actually watch Nope for the first time like a month ago. And that's why I suggested this so I could tell you about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then I've also seen um, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix. That's another like, uh, I think it's an eight episode miniseries and it's an anthology so you do not have to watch the episodes consecutively you can just pick up wherever you want whatever sounds the most interesting as a plot um, it's really good I would say the first two episodes I was like oh I don't know if I'm gonna be into this or whatever it picks up after that the rest of the episodes I think are amazing obviously the series finale is probably the best one but there's a few that are based on HP Lovecraft stories Ooh, okay yeah, they're, they're pretty creepy. Um, those might be the creepiest ones of all. And then there's two that are done by Guillermo um, and somebody else. And then just Guillermo del Toro does one on his own. Those are also really good. Um, I really love the way he does horror because there's something so whimsical and fantastical about it. Mm-hmm. And I think it gives it a little something that other people don't have. So... I really liked that. Um, I am going to start Wednesday soon. Wednesday Adams' new miniseries with my girl Jenna Ortega. Oh, I just finished Interview with the Vampire. Very queer. Very sexy. Please watch that show. It is so fucking good. Like, I mean, I'm a big fan of Anne Rice. I'm a big fan of Interview with the Vampire, the series. And it was phenomenal. Like, there is just something that's so good about it. And it's, like, beautiful and heartbreaking and the morality plays and the acting is amazing. The choices that were made to make it different than the original movie or even the original books were very good. Um, I know Anne Rice had a hand in this before she passed away. And her son has picked up the helm from here as the executive producer. So good. Um, And they have a podcast a companion podcast and i can't remember her name right now but she is hilarious the host she's so funny and she's really good at like getting people to open up and talk about things that you would really want to know as a watcher i think Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I've listened to the whole podcast to the companion episodes, which I never do. I think companion episodes are silly, but I listen to the whole thing. Wow. It must be really good then. And this all surprises me because I, being the judgy person that I am, judged this series based on like the promotional posters and the little like mini promotional trailers. And they, in my opinion, made it look very silly. Like it, I'm telling you right now, it is so phenomenal. And like, you do have to prepare yourself for some of that. Like there is a little bit of camp in it. But it's mm-hmm. just the right amount so that you take the rest seriously. I can't. Okay. It's it's doing so well. You don't even have to have read the books. You could just watch the show. Also, it's part of a bigger um, sort of world they're building. Um, so they are doing, what is it? The Witches of Way something? I can't remember. But she has a witch series. And I've never read it. I just started reading it. The first one is like The Witching Hour. Um mm-hmm. So I just started reading that. I don't know if there's any queer people in there, but it's Anne Rice, so probably. Um, <laughs> and I know that the characters from inter- the interview series intersect a little bit with it. Like vampires are in it. Um, and so that is going to become a whole world that they're building on AMC right now. I literally purchased AMC Plus because that's how much I like the show. I'm committed. Oh, wow. This is a very glowing review. I will have to watch that then. It's so good. Um, the uh, podcast host is Naomi Ekperigan. I, can, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm so sorry, Naomi girl. I love you so much. <laughs> what else am I listening to watching? Oh, I started listening to Dark History with Bailey Sarian. Um, not the YouTube series, but specifically the podcast, because I do love her. And Buried Bones with Kate Winkler Dawson and Paul Bowles. Those are my, my my new podcasts that I'm listening to. Your new pods. My new pods. Oh, this is like big news for anyone that knows me. But um, for the past couple days, I have started actually watching and paying attention to Lord of the Rings. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm several decades behind the times. You have watched it before. I have, but I've literally never paid attention. Like, I had a friend in, like, elementary school and middle school who was obsessed with Lord of the Rings. And, like, every birthday, every sleepover, she would put it on. And, like, I would ignore it, like, on purpose because I resented being, like, forced to watch a three-hour movie. Like, I thought that was dumb. So I was always, like, talking to people instead of watching. So I, like, absorbed, like, 20% of it, probably. Um And then, like, another time, I literally had, like, a really bad fever, and my mom had put it on the TV, so I was, like, in and out of fever dreams while also watching Lord of the Rings, which is, let me tell you, a wild experience. not a good memory, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But so I just have the last one left to watch. I actually am reasonably enjoying it. I think, you know, it is very slow. Um, I can see why people get mad at how slow it is, because it is very long, but at the same time... So are a lot of the Harry Potter movies, and that doesn't Mm -hmm. bother me. I wish they were longer. Mm -hmm. So I get it. Um, (laughs) And it's been interesting to, like, watch the Sam and Frodo stuff because I was like, "Mm, how gay could it really be? So gay. And I I really love the Lord of the Rings series. I do. Are you going to watch the Hobbit series, the people series? Um, Yeah, I probably will. Um, I know people weren't as hype about that one. Mm -hmm. I watched the first one, and it was all right. But I didn't do the other one. Is there two more? Yeah, I think there's three total. And I haven't watched the series. 
yeah, I do want to watch the series, though. I want to watch the Prime series. I just haven't had time. And I know nothing about the Prime series. Is it a prequel as well? I don't remember, to okay. be honest. I think it's a prequel. Okay. I think so. Prequels can be kind of rough because, like, you already know what happens. So it's kind of like, what is this adding? But then again, I did really enjoy Better Call Saul, and that is a prequel series. So I don't know. I think people, they knew people were going to love it either way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Do you want to give your other pod a shout out? I do. Okay, so I actually gave this podcast a shout out. So that means that I have to give my other podcast a shout out. Um, Earlier today, I recorded the second episode of my podcast with my good friend Manny, and it is called Cryptids and Mystics. And you can find us on Instagram. We are Cryptid and Mystic Pod. Um, and if you want to like, we just asked for a call in about, um, like if you have any stories that you've like interacted with a cryptid or the paranormal or something mystical, like let's say you read a tarot reading and exactly what you said would happen happened. Like you have a weird story with a Ouija board. I want to hear about it. Me and Manny (laughs) want to hear about it so bad. We love that. So we will read it on the podcast. Um, and We would love if you sent those in. You could DM us on our Instagram or you can just write to our email if that's easier. Um, A nice PDF would be good. Just saying. (laughs) Our email is cryptids and mystics podcast. Yeah. Cryptids and mystics podcast is what it is at (laughs) gmail.com. Sorry, I almost got that. I'm I'm new. I'm new at this. Yeah, not knowing your own email address, which, you know, (laughs) fair enough. But if you want to contact this podcast, we do have an email. And it is, I think it's TQAW podcast. No, it's not. It's thequeersarewatching at gmail.com. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, it is. So you can contact us there. And like, maybe if we check the email every once in a while, (laughs) we'll see it. But you know us, we're very loosey-goosey here. We record when we record, and that's about it. What you can also let us know is if you enjoyed this format where we tell each other about something. It's like you said, some things, depending on, like, the kind of media it is and, like, the kind of story it is, Mm -hmm. it might lend itself better to us both watching it and then discussing, but sometimes it might be better, you know, in this case, like, where it's just, like, one queer character that we want to talk about like Mm kind of do this format so it'll be a fun experiment i loved it i love telling you a story because like you don't know so you're surprised i love that i know it's so fun (laughs) i mean mine wasn't fun but you know what i mean yours was a bummer but it was a cool story to hear because it was like important i think Mm -hmm. so yeah and with that said remember the queers are watching bye bye